Hey, I'm your host, Jason Ingber. I'm here with Keith Mitnick, who's going to be providing us with a bundle of wisdom. Keith, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a fun one. We're talking about one that anyone can use, lawyer or non-lawyer, and something really does help lawyers, which I call creating the language of your case. It's all about getting the maximum power out of words, phrases, sayings, to communicate and convince and persuade. While that's what we do for a living in, as, as trial lawyers, we all do it in our day-to-day life. So I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Very excited, too. With that, let's jump in. Creating your case using Creating language to the language. max. So how do, you, how do you Michael Jordanize your language? Let's hear. All right, let's talk about that. And, but before I get into there, there are really three steps. I'm going to go through, through all three of them. But before I do, let me just, I want to put it in a context. There was a, something I heard in a movie about Churchill. I think it was called the, the dark, the darkest night or something like that, darkest day. Um, and then I actually looked it up, and the truth is, it came from President Kennedy giving Winston Churchill a American uh, a honorary American citizenship. And at the ceremony, and it was after World War II, and him standing up to Nazi Germany. And at the ceremony, he stole a line that actually was by Edward R. Murrow, had used it first, and Kennedy used it in that ceremony, about how Winston Churchill used the English language in such a powerful way. And I just love the quote because it kind of gives us a backbone of everything we're going to be talking about here, which is he, he said, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And that's kind of the idea here, that we're going to mobilize this, and maybe it isn't necessarily to battle for everybody, but we're going to go armed to the teeth to get our point across. Okay, so I just realized something. I need to write down things that I like that you're saying here so that at the end I can rattle them off and make everybody's face light up like a Christmas tree. So if you see me writing, it's because I absolutely loved one of your hey, phrases. Okay, and that was one. I heard that phrase, and I, 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 I about knocked the chair over to get a pen and uh, write it down. I, just, it, it, I went, oh, my God, that's what I've been saying for years, and it's about Churchill. It's perfect. So let's get into the first step. Let me tell you what the three steps are, although we're only going to cover the first one in this episode. The first is picking powerful, perfect words. What do I mean by that? The just right words. There's a big difference between the right word and the just right word. There's a famous quote by Mark Twain. A lot of folks will have heard it. And again, I've known this one for years, and it will go. it's one of my favorite sayings. Mark Twain said the difference between the almost right word and the just right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. Now, isn't that cool? Because what we want to do when we're in, a, we're in a position where we're trying to convince someone to see what we believe is the right way and get them on the right track, that's really what we want to do. We want to take our words and turn them into like bolts of lightning that are powerful and full of electricity. So I just love that quote. So, well, you so, have the I, advantage of a distinct accent. So everything you say that's like what I would make out to be average from my accent just gets level up with lightning right there. You got that southern lightning. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, in any event, so picking the just right word. And by, here's a couple pieces of that. 
there will be a word that'll work, but it won't be the best word. So you got to search down the best word. Now, let me be clear. Not for every word comes out of your mouth. For God's sake, you'd be tongue-tied. You could never say anything. You'd have to memorize your words like a Shakespeare play. I'm talking about there are certain essential anchoring words that, that provide the framework for what you're trying to communicate. It's those essential anchor words that are the critical ones you need to spend time to get them right. Because if you say something that's accurate, but it isn't the best choice, it's not as strong, you've lost an opportunity to advance your cause. If you say something you didn't think through and it backfires on you, now you got a problem. And it, trust me, I've done it before in courtroom when I was younger and didn't think through it. That's how I learned. You better, don't get overexcited. Think through how it could backfire or be used against you. So it's got to be unassailable words. And I've been talking about the power of words, the importance of words. Words matter in this concept for over a decade, speaking to lawyers. But not that long ago, right before COVID, I came up with a formula that can be reproduced by anyone and get you to the right word quicker than just saying, all right, I got to figure out the right word. Well, hell, I've now searched my vocabulary. Then you go to thesaurus, which is essential, by the way. An essential tool for the process I'm about to go through is get a thesaurus. Now, I've got about 10 of them on my bookshelf, including the big uh, Oxford English Dictionary, 20 volumes that covers a whole shelf. But I've you got to get on the Google. I, hey, let me tell you something that's cool as it can be that's simple. Two of them. One, for whatever reason, this only works on an iPad. It's called Word Flex, like flexing your muscle. Word Flex. Now, I don't know why in the hell they aren't putting it for, for laptops and phones, and I think they're missing the market. Maybe it, for whatever reason it only runs there. But unless they've upgraded it, you can only do it on an iPad. But you plug in the word, and I, hell, I don't want to run over and get my iPad or I'd turn it around and show you. That word then spirals out. All these radii come off of them. And at the end, there's words. And, but it's not just that. It goes, you know, words have different meanings. For each meaning, it takes a line out. There's a circle and a hub, and here come all these words around it. And the next one. And so when you get a word with a lot of meanings, it just looks like, you know, the old pictures of a, I hate using it in the time of COVID, but we've all seen the movies, the, the virus spiraling out. It's the coolest thing. And then you can tap on any word, it'll take you to new words. I don't need any, any thesaurus other than WordFlex. Now, I don't have my iPad with me all the time. So I get frustrated because I need to look, I'm sitting someplace bored or in traffic stopped, and I want to look up a word, I'm working a problem in my head. And I go, damn it, I can't get to my iPad. Well, I just found it is not as good as WordFlex but it's damn close. It's the best online for your phone app I've ever had for a thesaurus. And it's yes, got yes, a cool yes. name. We're, we're going to download WordFlex. Not only that, in the TV show version of you, there's like a scene of you being like all mastermind or beautiful mind with like the word nuclei spreading and all that. And then defense counsel watches this webinar and you see him in trial kicking ass. And you're like, how did that happen? And he winks at you like I saw your webinar on choosing your words or something Probably. like that. But let, let, let's, way, let's, let's go back to getting to unassailable words. What, how, do, how do we do that? I, you, you just said solving a problem in your head with words, like the way you're talking about it. That's what made me think of a beautiful mind, solving problems. And you want a thesaurus to solve your problem. Genius. It, I'm telling you, it's one of the most fun things not just lawyers, anyone can do, is if they will 
fall in love with the English language and the concept of using the right words to make a point, it, it, you can carry it anywhere in your head. You don't have to be at work. You can be in the most boring conversation, be having a blast and just nodding like you're listening. It is, you can be on an elevator stuck. So I, I say, I need to, I got to get the right way to say this. And when I have one of them, I write, if I'm preparing some, just TH in a little circle. I know it means the Thoris. You know what that does for me? I'm all day long in the back of my mind. It's like Christmas morning. You know, I'm like, hey, when I get done with this, I go chase that word down. So it really isn't work. It's fun and anyone can do it. So let's, let's, let's get into it. And I call this formula for picking the just right words. I call the end result of it flashlight words. Because the idea to me is you want to illuminate and, and show the way. So let me, let's get past the kind of wind up to this and let me get down to the, um, some actual examples of, of how the process works. And I, and I want to tell you where it came from. And then I'll give you the formula, but I want to tell you where it came from. I'm sitting in front of a TV watching a show in the evening with my wife. We're watching Netflix. And a show came on called Broadchurch. And it was a series that was one of these mystery, English mysteries. And it was set in a town up on a hill, I mean, on a steep cliff to the ocean, one of those sheer cliffs to the ocean. And we're watching it. By the way, Broadchurch, if you're looking for something to watch, it was very good. But anyhow... I said to my wife, no one, and we, and we live in on the ocean in Florida. I said, no one would call that a beach. You know, it's sheer cliff. It looks cold and uninhabitable. Rocks with water exploding over them. And there's a little sand down there, but not damn much. I said, nobody would call that a beach. And my wife said, no, that's a coast. And I said, damn. I said, do you mind pausing it and I got it started writing notes down and we end up I never came back to fin we finished started watching the next night because that was the trigger for me to say there's a way to get to the right word and here's and here's the simple it's not art here's the simple path the simple formula there are words that I call inert inert why are they inert they're too ambiguous to know how people are going to react to them then there are words that, are, that I call activator words. That means, not with everyone, but with a high probability, you can predict if someone hears that, they're going to tap into a, a type of memory that will have attached to it emotional momentum. So when you say the word, rather than just being my words that someone's having to listen to, I now have gotten into their experiences, tapped into something that heads them in the direction I want to from a historical emotional momentum, and that is so much more powerful than me talking until my turn blue in my face. I'm now bringing the person into the conversation and letting their own mind take it to where I want to be. And now they say, that guy, I, I, that, what that guy's saying makes sense because it's almost like they ran out and validated it from some past experience. That's an activator word. However, there's two kinds of, so you got inert words that are too ambiguous. One person would get a memory and it would help me. Another would have an opposite memory that would screw me. So I don't want inert words for my anchor words. Activator words is what I want, but you got to think through. There are negative activators and positive activators. Negative is when it, that's sure as hell not what I want them to take away from this. Positive activators, that's exactly what memories and emotional momentum I want to tap into. And then the last little, and I'm going to make examples. You know, it sounds 
highfalutin it isn't. I'm going to show you how it works in just a second. But in the last thing is think, okay, it is activator. It's a positive. Then that's where the thesaurus can come on before while you're hunting it or after while you're vetting it to make sure it's the best word. Then you want to say, that's great. That's the concept. I got it. Is there a better way to say it? Sometimes you're dead on, but there's an actually better one. You had a good one. You got to the best. So that's it. Figure out if it's inert or activator word. Then figure out if it's positive or negative. And then pause long enough when you're excited and you got the word to just make sure that's the one. There isn't an even better one. So let me give you a couple of examples of it. This is one I've used so many times I, I'm almost sick of hearing my own voice say it, but it's a perfect example. I always say, do not say in a car crash case, accident. Why? That is an activator word, but it's a negative activator. And the defense says it all the time. Why? I, don't, I doubt they've gone through this thought process, but they say it because it's a positive activator for them. Why? Accidents happen. It implies it's no one's fault and no one should be, and be punished and nothing should be done about it. I can hear my dad right now, my brother and I chasing each other through the house, and my dad, uh, we knocked over a lamp, my dad coming at us to ball us out, and my mom saying, Nick, honey, it was just an accident. And that's what people take away from it. Well, I'm in here proving that this person did something wrong under civil laws. I don't want to be talking about accidents. Accidents are, I'm dancing and with my dance partner, I accidentally step on their toe, you know, or a little kid is throwing a baseball at his dad. He's accidentally sends it a little high and breaks a window. That's an accident. We ain't talking about the guy that's um, not paying attention, looking at his phone and rear ends somebody. That ain't an accident. What is it? It's a crash. Now so there, there is an, a polar opposite activator word. Now it's the activation that I want, the positive activator. Why? What do you do when you hear crash? You can hear symbols coming together from the old cartoons and stuff. Crash makes you cringe. I want cringing. I do not want accidents happen. Why are we blaming this poor bastard didn't mean it? I want crash because crashes make you cringe. See the difference? Two activator words. One's negative for what I'm trying to get the pit across. The other's positive. And I've gone and looked them. I've put, trust me, I put crash in damn near every thesaurus I got. It, it doesn't get any better. They're good ones, collision. But you know what? Collision sounds better than accident. You've lost the no one's fault piece, but a collision could be just bumping someone or a big collision. Crash is the word. So I would say any plaintiff's lawyers, drop the damn word accident, use crash. But let, let's go through some more. I like to start with that because it makes the point so vividly. But how about following too close? You got a car crash, your client was struck from behind because someone was following too close. People want to say they were following too close because that's the, the rule of the road that was violated, the statute that was violated. It is inert. Don't use it. Why? Inert. Well, what does following too close mean? It depends on the circumstances. If someone is on your, is, is four inches behind you, in stop-and-go five-o'clock five traffic that's crawling, is, are they doing anything wrong? Hell no. And a lot of your folks should be saying the word following too close and think, well, that's that ain't bad. Or someone else may picture someone, you know, riding their bumper. So it could be good or it could be bad. I'm not going to use an anchor word, a, a focal word, that I can't control 
with a high level of confidence the reaction the person is going to have. So I wouldn't use follow too close. So what is the positive activator? Tailgating. Here's an even better one. Because I went to the thesaurus and, and I got one of these thesauruses that have phrases. And I took tailgating and ended up with riding your bumper. Now you tell me you aren't already getting pissed off. When you say, that son of a bitch is just riding my bumper. Get off me. We all, it, you're pissed. There is nothing ambiguous about that. Following too close, who knows? Riding your bumper, tailgating. No one calls in five o'clock traffic when they're close to you tailgating. They just say we're all stuck here trying to get the hell home. So here's another example. Rear-ended. Rear-ended is another word that is an inert word because one person's going to go, Man, they, they, they slammed into him from behind. They, they're responsible. Someone else, though, thinks rear end is probably just a tap in a, in a grocery store and some, some, somebody's trying to exploit it and make a bunch of money with these ambulance chasers. Now, you hopefully have gotten rid of people think that way in jury selection, but why pick a word that means different things? It's inert because it's an important word to use. So what's a better word? Rammed from behind? Rammed. Ram's a good word. Ram sounds like you, everyone's going to picture on wildlife programs, the damn Rams out there, and they butt jump bump, and they come back and do it again. It sounds violent. Rammed, from, and from behind, it's like you snuck up on me. You, always, you never shoot someone in the back. From behind is just a dirty way, dirty pool. It's, and it, it, you've got no class. You know, confront it right face up. Rammed from behind. Now you're activating. It's a positive activator, and it doesn't get any better than that. So I'm we, loving these words. They're literally incepting emotion into the situation. I have so many questions in terms of other examples, but I don't want to. I don't want to put the brakes on no, you. you you're giving, I you're run, giving them I'll, all right. I'll run through a couple more, but then give me some more. We'll do some live as best we can. Um, here's another one in car crash cases or any kind of injury case. Sometimes the person has a fusion and they put that little bit of metal in their neck. They call it fixation because they're affixing the disc above to the disc below to take that flexion out so the area that's not working the broken disc you just take it out of the equation by fusing them together and I hear people in court because it's technically medically called a fixation they said did you have a fixation device doctor did you put a fixation device and I sit in the corner of my hair and I go I hate that now I've got my formula to know why fixation sounds like a you're either stalking somebody and you're fixated on them or it fixed the problem it's called fixation why do i want to say fix my client's still in pain not as bad the burning down the leg went away but it still hurts all the damn time so i don't want to say fixation and imply it's fixed to me it is at best inert and maybe other than to medical doctors who probably aren't on your jury it's a negative activator potentially so what do you use Hardware, hardware, metal plates and screws. Who's not going to go, oh, my God, they got metal plates and screws in their neck? Hardware? I've communicated that something very unnatural and serious has happened in that surgery. Loud and clear. Activator, positive activator, and I don't know any better words than hardware or plate, metal plates and screws. Here, here's another one. I had a, a lawyer that used to be with our office 
talked to me about, and he, someone, an expert called it gold standard. They should have done a surgery to make sure it's flesh-eating bacteria and to make sure the flesh-eating bacteria, to get rid of it, and to find out it is flesh-eating bacteria. The way you find out is they do a little surgery and take it off and send it to the lab, and they go, oh my God, now they know they need to start cutting stuff out before it gets worse in, in their specific antibiotics. Well, the expert on the other side in this case for the defense said he agrees surgery was a gold standard. My partner got all excited. And I said, wrong word. That gold standard is way too inert. Why? It's two things. People can go gold standard. For God's sake, they ought to do it. You know what else they may say? Well, everyone would like to get the gold standard, but, you know, they're not going to fly me to Switzerland for the latest cutting-edge stuff. It sounds like you're asking for too much if you ask for the gold standard. Everyone talks about the gold standard. Most people don't, aren't fortunate enough to live in the gold standard world. So it always seems beyond reach. So I said, you don't want that. That, to me, is an inert word, and one of them is a real, one side of it is real negative. So what, what was the better word? The best available test. The best available test. And then I throw in within reason. Why? Because I don't want people saying, well, sure, we'd love to have the very best, but you got to do what's you know, at your fingertips. Best available within reason means we're not asking for too much instead of gold standard. And the last part of it was, I said, drop the word surgery. Why? It's a negative, the test was a surgery. That's a negative activator word. Why? It sounds like a big dangerous thing nobody wants and we're suing them for not doing it. So you're going, well, I can see why the doctor waited the last minute before he did surgery is something's the last resort. And we're saying you should have done it much earlier. You waited until, until too late and ate, ate them, you know, half their limbs off. I'm exaggerating, but ate a bunch. And it's like, don't say, well, he should have done surgery earlier because everyone's going to go, well, you can't blame a doctor for putting off surgery for as long as possible. That's their game. So what, what is the positive activator? Biopsy. That's what it is. And people sit in the dermatologist's office and they whack some little thing off right there. They give you a little shot in the skin, pull it off and send it to the lab. It's a little nothing biopsy. It, look, a biopsy can be a big deal, but it's, surgery is a big deal. Biopsy sounds a hell of a lot less intrusive, dangerous, and not something you put off until it's too late. So, you know, it, it, I'll give you, let me just, I'll tell you another one. Um, not a lot of visible property damage. That is the right word. Don't say low impact. Low impact sounds like it wouldn't hurt a flea. Not a lot of visible property damage is accurate. There's nothing negative attached to it. And it can leave people with the thought, you know what, I put my car in the shop and never ran, ran the same. There may be more there than meets the eye. And so, you know, I, and I, God, I have so much fun of these. I got myself stammering. Um, here's one you hear all the time. I hear it in court and I always say, and I hear it in life and I always say, don't say that because it is too ambiguous. People say in a re medical record or on the stand, they say, um, after the surgery, we were better. Oh yeah, I was better, a lot better. Better implies cured. It's ambiguous. Some people may go, that just means it's improved, but it also better may be cured. I'm all better, all gone. So don't say better, say improved. Why take something could mean one thing I don't mean to say like it's all gone, which is the defense's case. 
in our cases, is not all gone, although I had some improvement. Why use a word out of my mouth that can trigger, well, she must be better. He's even saying it. Even though they don't think at that level, it's subliminal. If I say the surgery, she was improved after the surgery, but it's not gone. Improved. Every, there's, there is no question what I mean to communicate. And I don't want to out my mouth communicate the wrong thing. I'll give you, I'm going to give you one more, and then we can, we can talk a little bit about this. But um, I'll give you two more. People talk about a permanent injury. It's a really good permanent injury. But you know what? It sounds a little lawyerly to me. And what the hell does exactly permanent mean? You know, I guess everybody knows permanent is forever. But you know what's clear, easy, and really gets the point across? And actually, John Morgan uh, came up with this one. I've just taken it from him. The others were mine, and this was his, and it was a great one. He calls it, instead of a permanent injury, call it a forever injury. You were trying to get the point across it's never going away. They're going to live with it the rest of their life forever. Everyone knows what forever means. Think of the difference between, and my client suffered a permanent injury. And everybody going, boy, he sounds like he's straight out of damn Harvard. Or, and this injury was a forever injury. She's going to have it for the rest of her life. So those are amazing. Really, here I'm going to give. Here's one more. A, a, you've got a nice doctor came down and testified from Harvard for the defense, and they paid him money. But nobody's going to believe he flew all the way down here to just lie through his teeth for ten grand. So, rather than go after him as just making stuff up, a big fat liar, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not the path of least resistance. It's very difficult. So what's a better way to describe rather than he's lying, he's making it up. He got carried away by the competitive spirit. They handpicked and hired him, and they're actually paying for him, and he, he meets with them. They met last night. They met this morning. They're sitting in the room. It's just, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, and boy, he's got great credentials, but what he's saying doesn't make a lick of sense. So you say, well, how, if, if, if it, it really doesn't make sense, but why would someone with all those credentials say that? Well, I understand that. He, got, he, he didn't a big old liar. He's gotten carried away by the competitive spirit, and he's trying to please the team he's on. Probably doesn't even realize it. It's just a path of least resistance. It's a better way to say it. I, um, I think we have to have a serious internal discussion with John Morgan if we're going to release this uh, episode. That's that's the that's my comment immediately. Listen, he has great. He's a I'm a wordsmith. He is too. I'll tell you another one he gave me. When you're talking about um, someone doing something intentionally, he said, and we were talking. It was this case against cigarette companies, and I was talking to you guys. You know what I'd say? It. It was premeditated, and I went, God Almighty, that's good. Because you know, premeditated has such a powerful. It takes you to murder. It takes you to murder. Yeah. So, so instead of saying they did this knowing it was dangerous, they did this intentionally. Say it, what they did was premeditated. You, your reaction is one hundred percent more strong over there. So there's nothing wrong with intentional. It's not ambiguous. It's a perfect example of okay. It's a positive activator, but I'm not done. Is there a better? positive activator let's go to the thesaurus morgan happened to be my thesaurus that day is that something you employed while you were coming up as a lawyer looking to greater authorities as quote like a thesaurus bouncing up ideas yeah. on them oh yeah 
I think all of us, in the law and out of the law, we have all of us have people who have touched our lives and who have really helped make us who we are. And and the when I was younger, I had one guy partner. I had two guys training me who were both great trialers, but one of them was just a get everything done, look under every stone, never walk into court until you look at every piece of file paper in that file. Period. So he taught me the you better grind it, stick your nose in it, waller in it, and know every fact in it. So he was the hard work, no shortcuts, spend the time to know your case guy. And thank God he taught me all that. But the other guy was just brilliant, brilliant. Hubert Williams was the work your behind off. Robertson, John Robertson, was just brilliant. And um, you never guess. He was an old country boy. His shirt was half untucked, but... He graduated number one from University of Florida. You wouldn't guess it. He was a hellraiser. He's died dead now, but I mean, hellraiser. Um, Beautiful, great fun. Love the background. But, mm-hmm. but let me tell you, but but Robertson was a free thinker. He thought of things most people didn't, and he was so influential as a baby lawyer coming. I hadn't even passed the bar yet. I'm working hand on hand. I'm watching how his mind worked, and I was. It was a beautiful mind, and I wanted it. And I, I happened to be blessed with one that worked pretty good, but I needed a mentor to point me, how do you use that power? How do you use that energy? And he was the free thinker. He didn't teach me any of this, but I just watched him. He wasn't a systems guy and teaching other people. I just watched him do it. I'd say to him, you know what? Maybe we'll say this in opening. No, no, no. There's a better way to say it. We're going to say, boom. And I go, shit, it is a better way. So that's part and parcel that, you know, later... I developed these things, and it's so fun. What about in mediations, the ability to walk away and say no, but there's more nuance in that situation because you want to be able to explain to the other side you're still really open, but your number, like you don't want to insult sure. them, or maybe you do, but how do you say no? How do you walk away? What, what words do you, yeah, you know use, and what do you want to convey? You know who's gotten so good at these mediation things is Matt Morgan. He went to some two-week Harvard course up in – literally at Harvard on um, mediations and settlements and things. And he brought back some brilliant things, but it really comes back to something. You don't need to go Harvard and do all that. It just, it's like, I like to put it in systems. He came back with something concrete that he could really then make his own, but it goes to a core value. If you treat people with respect and you shoot straight, you have a much better chance of the outcome you want than if you're just insulting and com- combative about everything. Look, I, you push too far, and I will get very damn combative. Um, but I don't like you'll get You'll get away. carried away by the competitive spirit. Yeah, but, yeah I will. I, I will I, one of these days, I'm going to pop somebody in the nose and be in trouble. But in any event, so the question at mediation, how do you walk away but leave the door open? You don't storm out. Now, look, there's a time to storm out. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes they're just ridiculous insulting, and you say, there's going to be a reckoning. We're done talking. I'll let the jury decide. You're going to regret the day because they asked for it. But if you really want to leave the door open, that doesn't help. So how do you leave the door open? You just change your demeanor and and your tone and the chosen words, and you don't wag your finger at them. You say, hey, guys, ladies, 
you know, I was hoping we'd make some progress. We remain open to settlement. We're just so far apart. I think any more today is a waste of time. But, you know, we still got some more depositions to take, and we got to pick a jury and see what everybody thinks of the jury and get moving. And maybe we can revisit this during trial. We will continue to be open to the spirit of resolution, but we just see the value so much different right now. I think it's probably out of respect to you and me. Let's get the hell out of here. Well, so, I, I love it. I'd want to press you on more, but maybe we'll do another episode where you'll give a rundown of other things. I learned so much. It's amazing how sometimes you have a conversation and it portal jumps you. As a young lawyer myself, you really helped me out. Unassailable words come from unambiguous language and just being accurate. Good phrase. Really good way to say it. It's you. It's you. And, and, and yeah, but I haven't said it that way. See, I'm all the words. You just said it. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to steal that from you. That's a great way to encapsulate everything I've been talking about. It's been brilliant. You were able to even give like different temperatures of words in terms of accident, collision, and crash. You know, like you you really have your finger on the pulse. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up this this particular? Yeah, episode? I'm going to give you something. This is kind of fun, and sometimes people laugh at me, and I don't care. You can laugh at me. Okay. I love poetry. I love poetry. Um, I've got an extensive poetry collection. I write poetry. Um, you know, I'm not bad at it because I've spent a lot of time with words and. And poetry is nothing but evoking powerful emotions and putting someone feeling like they're there through the use of words. In the old masters, there's some of the newer ones I like, like she died recently, Mary, Arlo, Mary Oliver. She is so good. If you want to go try some modern day poetry, listen to Mary Oliver. I just Thank you. Okay, Mary you. Oliver. A lot of homework. Anyhow, Always a lot of homework with you. You give a lot of homework. Okay. But here's my favorite of all time, who's an old timer is long gone um, is Pablo Neruda and of course I don't read Spanish so I got to get it translated and I think gosh I would love to read it in its original form I've actually bought some some books or one of those tapes to learn Spanish so I could read Pablo Neruda but there is a poem in one of our segments coming up I'll get I'll find the name of the poem and get it I may even read it because he's talking about these horses in a rink and if you don't feel blown away by the vividness of how you feel like you're in this arena looking at these Lipison horses. The description, he doesn't say there's a horse with muscles and he's real pretty. When he's done describing it, you are there. So my last parting thing is anyone that kind of thinks poetry's not for me, give it a chance because we are wordsmiths. We are wordsmiths and the more we master the art of being a wordsmith, and I don't mean, you know, spin. I mean getting to the root of the truth. The better we get at it, the better we're going to be in life and in courtrooms. And some of the great poets, not some of the new ones that talk about porcelain on a urinal. That, to me, is not poetry. But the masters, you read it, and it'll take your breath away. And then after enjoying it, study the words they pick and see how in such a short space. And it's a good way to hone your craft to listen to people that are, you know, now legends over their ability to use the, the English language or any language. And from my window, the vacant arena, I saw while the winter was biting me with its teeth. I just butchered you it. You know it. I know, no, no, no. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. God almighty. And, and I thought if you know it and can recite it, no. that poem, 
that poem is beautiful. I just flicked through it on on another tab. I had to. It it motivated you to learn Spanish. Pablo Neruda. That's beautiful. It is so good. And there, you know, there are others. He does one talking about cordwood on the front porch of some cabin. And I swear mm-hmm. you can smell the damn cord room and cord cord wood and taste it and see it like you were there. And so you, you go. Who gives a damn about wood on a front porch? I'm wasting my time. It isn't the wood on the front porch that matters. Just slow down long enough to see how can another human being through words alone and zero pictures have me going, I can smell it. That's worth learning from. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Keith. This was really, really beautiful. I can't wait to learn some more from you. All right. Thank you. See you next time.